This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 19 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is part two in our series on Justin Lin, where we're going to be looking at the second movie that he directed, for all practical purposes, Annapolis. All right. Annapolis. Annapolis. Now, this is a movie which was released in January of 2006. It stars James Franco, Tyrese Gibson, and Jordana Brewster. Funny thing about that being that, you know, much like John Cho mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Um, Better Luck Tomorrow and Star Trek Beyond, Tyrese Gibson and Georgiana Brewster are both people who at this point had been in Fast and Furious movies, which were not directed by Justin Lin, and they would later go on to work with them, with with him, sorry, yeah, in in later installments. So. Very cool. Yeah, they they could probably recommend him after their their pleasant experience creating the cinematic uh, experience known as Annapolis. I, I'm sure that's that's what happened. Yeah. So, uh, I actually probably didn't happen because the first. Fast oh no! I was just I was just kidding. no 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 I know no it I know I know like that. <laughs> yeah. But but thinking about it, like this is kind of interesting because uh, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift came out like less than five months after this movie. So Hmm. he had to make that one very quickly and very angrily. (laughs) Very quickly and angry. I look forward to seeing it. I like like speed and I like anger. So there you go. Have you watched, just as a teaser, have you watched The Fast and the Furious or Too Fast, Too Furious yet? No, I have not. Okay. Uh, I will will get to them. I'm doing doing things from there to here. I'm mm-hmm. revisiting uh, some animated series episodes, and as soon as I have that block over with and the crying stops, I will uh, go ahead and go into uh, watching the Fast and Furious movies. Fair enough, fair enough. If you are looking to cheat it a little bit in terms of time, you could skip over Too Fast and Furi- Too Fast, Too Furious, and watch that after number three i i know i know yeah i had somebody try to tell me that it technically takes blah blah, like they tried to explain something and i was like i haven't even watched the movie why are you bothering with this (laughs) so yeah but that's Uh, what people do all all i'm saying is that there's really nothing in too fast too furious which uh, there is literally nothing in too fast too furious which is is uh addressed in in the third movie so no i'll be uh i got a commute and I'm looking forward to uh, pulling this up on my iPad. And, nice. Yeah. And 21st century. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. traffic watching a Fast and Furious movie. Watch out, y'all. <laughs> I will not be the one driving. I'll, I'll just... Safety first. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yes. Uh, Annapolis. Okay. Yes. So, so, basically, yeah, this is like, let's say, three years after Better Luck Tomorrow was released and, you know, mm-hmm. Hollywood came calling, apparently, and uh, Justin Lin gets to do a big-budget movie uh, for Disney, and it's yeah. very Disney in a lot of ways. Uh, do you want to give a synopsis of Annapolis? Sure. I will. Uh, I, I honestly think that the best way you can kind of classify this is this is a movie in the same vein it's not necessarily the same structure or anything. It's in the same vein as Backdraft, where the the protagonist, by the time the movie's done, you're, I, I often feel like the goal is you're supposed to stand up, and at the end of Backdraft, you stood up and you're like, yeah, I want to be a firefighter. And at the end of this, you're supposed to stand up and go, yeah, I want to go join the Navy. Um, because, you know, it's all about digging deep and, and finding your dream and finding the courage to pursue it, even though everybody's against you and even though all of the odds are stacked against you, you can make it happen in the armed forces. Yeah, yeah. Basically, James Franco is a guy whose dad is a lifelong uh, shipbuilder in the Navy yeah. shipyards or whatever. 
and he's mm-hmm. following in his dad's foot sh- footsteps, but his dream and his mom's dream for him, his dead mom's mm-hmm. dream for him is to go to the academy and become yeah. a naval officer. And after much whatever, uh, Donnie Wahlberg is like, <laughs> give this guy a chance. Yeah. And he, he lets him into the academy, and then he... W- would you dare say that Donnie Wahlberg saw that he had the right stuff? <laughs> Just throwing it out there? Potentially, <laughs> potentially, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, James Franco trying to do his thing, and along the way he meets uh, various uh, people and has various struggles. Yes. And try, tries to make it, it's basically about his first year at the academy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a thrill ride because he's he's brought in as a boxer and um he finds that his experience boxing will philosophically lend assistance to him in terms of the journey that he's on. Yeah. It's very central to the entire film. In a lot of ways it's kind of a boxing movie. More yeah, than I, more than yeah, a military by, movie, you know. By the end it sort of turns into uh Apollo versus Rocky. Yeah. Like Pretty much literally, <laughs> like you know, yeah. is yeah, is that's what it turns into, which is you know not not a knock. I mean, it's you know, Lynn does a, a decent job of keeping things moving, and uh, you know, I was actually, you know, because watching it in the context of we watched Better Luck Tomorrow and now we see this, like you can see growth in terms of the camera movement. Like he's given more money, he's given. Um, more equipment, you know, a, a more powerful cast, so to speak, and he puts it to good use. Like, you know, the the characters are uh, fairly well drawn, um, you know, and and sympathetic. He gets good performances from people, and uh, you know, he does a good job with this. Yeah, yeah, he he does an okay job. I guess I wasn't. Um as impressed with his his growth as you were you know to to me in a lot of ways i see this as kind of being a step back creatively for him because mm-hmm. in the the last movie i think that since it was sort of an indie film and everything he was you know going for broke and he didn't really have anyone telling him what not to do in a sense if that sure. makes any sense and yeah. you know i i think that uh um it's Interesting looking at this one where, you know, he's given more money and that means more responsibility, certainly, you know, financially and everything. And I think he becomes a little scared, you know, and he's not willing to Mm. experiment nearly as much as he did on the first movie. And this becomes much more standard in in a lot of ways. I I don't see. The thing is, I don't disagree. I like I'm I'm. My statement simply has to do with like not in terms like better luck tomorrow. I agree with you. Artistically is more satisfying. There's no doubt. And when you watch this movie, you know that Lynn has basically been given a job where it's like, here is the story. Here is what you're going to do. James Franco is your star and make him look good and make everything work. Mm -hmm. And so I think by those criteria, it's yeah, it's not as artistically satisfying as better luck tomorrow. But you can tell that it's somebody who recognizes that this is his opportunity to uh, prove that he can work with a bigger, you, you know, like it, that, that's, that's sort of the spirit in which I mean it. Like you, he does what he's supposed to do with a movie like this, which is create something that by the end, yeah, yay, Navy, James Franco realized his dream. That's it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's not as artistically satisfying, but he's still, I, I still see somebody who, given the additional he doesn't he doesn't crack under the pressure like um uh what's the name of the guy that did the fantastic four movie josh trank josh trank josh trank snaps when somebody gives him that responsibility and they say do this it's paint by numbers you just got to get them from a to b to c Mm -hmm. and finish the movie lynn comes in and okay i need to go a to b to c and finish the movie and he does it yeah and he does it competently yeah, no, that's true. It kind of proves that he he can be a studio director in a sense, right? You know, which is what he has essentially become. As as we we look forward at the rest of his career, there's really only one indie 
left that that we have to uh, to watch, and all the rest of them are big budget, you know, studio films, much bigger than than this one, you know. Yeah. Even. So, so in in general, what were your thoughts on Annapolis? Uh, I mean, it's didn't set me on fire, but I didn't regret seeing it. I mean, there were a couple of parts where I mean, it is so honestly paint by numbers you know each story beat that's coming before it happens you know what's going to happen you know what's lurking around the corner um but so long as you accept that and you're just willing to accept that i mean i I think that there are some standout performances uh in it actually for what the material is uh the i i I forgive me i forget the actor's name but uh the roommate who stays with him when everybody wants to kick him out and he says, I'm Arkansas and you're Mississippi because so long as Mississippi is there, Arkansas doesn't look so bad that, yeah. that, uh, that guy that sticks with him through the whole thing, even though he's given a story moment that is very awkward at the end. Um, like that felt like it, not, you, you know, I, I don't want to go full spoiler, but you know, the, the moment I'm talking about, I think, Mm-hmm. Where that character does something where you're like, well, whoa, wait, what? That came out of left field. They didn't need that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that that's a good performance. He got a, a, a I think, you know, I really liked um, uh, Jordana Brewster. I really liked uh, Franco in this. I thought Franco did a good job. Yeah, Franco wasn't bad. Yeah, I think I think everyone was, was pretty decent. The, the name of that actor is, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but Vesselis... Rian Shannon, who okay. is probably best known as the kid in the hurricane. Who? Oh, oh, wow! Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, um, yeah, he's he's pretty good, and um, yeah. Also, uh, just just to note here, as far as you know, Star Trek connections are concerned, um, the superintendent or whoever it is of of the academy mm-hmm. is played by Charles Napier, who. Yeah. Um, has been in a million things like Silence yeah. of the Lambs and whatnot, but yeah. he was also one of the the space hippies on the original series. That's and right, he was. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and now he he's played in the, the space guitar. Oh my God! Now yeah. he's in the Navy. His well, he... <laughs> space hippie self would be so disappointed in his. <laughs> well, that's Navy okay. So let's self. tie it into Star Trek continuity. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All that right. space hippie is his far in the future descendant. Because he's so moved by James Franco rebelling against the system and still succeeding that he decides that his grandson is going to go down a different path and it sparks this whole different path that eventually leads to space hippies. Oh, okay. See, I was going to go with his great-grandson was just rebelling against his, you know, naval upbringing or whatever. <laughs> okay. And decided to become a space hippie. Well, and maybe part of the family stayed in in what became Starfleet. Yeah, maybe. So there you go. We've yeah. got a family drama in Star Trek <laughs> hidden somewhere in this story. Yep, yep, for yeah. sure, for sure. Um, you know, I, I thought that this movie was pretty good. I mean, you look at the reviews, and the reviews are epically bad. You know, like 10% on Rotten Tomatoes bad. I don't think that's fair. No, I don't think it's fair either. I, I think that, that this is actually a, a pretty decent movie. Um, yeah. I definitely think it's one of Lynn's lesser works, you know, and, and like you're saying, it is very paint-by-numbers. You know, you know exactly what's going to happen every step of the way. Extremely cliche, but the cliches work. You know, they're effective. Um, yeah. Um, I, what, one of the things which I, I found interesting is that um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of similar to Star Trek 09, or the beginning of Star Trek 09, at least, you know, um, where Kirk, you know, for example, is a kid living in a town where they build mm. starships, and then someone mm. sees something in his uh, his abilities or whatever, and even though he's like a townie, literally, yeah. you know, they, they you know, in, get him to enlist in the academy, and he goes and succeeds against all odds. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah, no, I can see that. I can totally see that. And then he's later on the ship that was being built at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's a weird thing because growing up, you know, as a kid who was a huge Star Trek fan who knew absolutely nothing about the military aside from 
my my grandfather's uh, love for the Marine Corps, which he was a uh, you know a member of during World War II, and you know mm. I, I didn't really have any sort of like knowledge of the military or how it worked aside from what I saw on Star Trek. And because of sort of wanting to expand my knowledge on how like this universe works and how this, you know, system works. Yeah. Like growing up as like a junior high high school student, I actually like did a lot of sort of like research into the Navy mm-hmm. in particular just to kind of sure. see how you know, how it works, you know, because there is definitely a parallel there between that and Starfleet Academy in terms of just yeah. the, the general structure and that kind of thing. Well, sure. I mean, and Nick Meyer brought in a lot of naval, a lot of real naval tradition in Star Trek too. Right, right. Um, you know, so straight up to every officer called Mr., regardless mm-hmm. of sex, you know. Is that Mr. is Savage. that from, that's from the Navy? That's old school Navy. Okay, yeah. see, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I thought that that was always just like them... Saying like, "Look, we're progressive." No, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, <laughs> you're, that. The rule was because the thing is, of course, women were not always serving in the military. Uh-huh. Um, it was just tradition that it was Mister. It would have been Mister Savick. Interesting, you know, instead of Lieutenant Savick. And just when women came in, it's like the military is honestly as much as it can be about efficiency. And why would they change their rules? <laughs> It's like, right, women are here now. Okay, that's still Mr. Savick. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to a screening of Wrath of Khan in a couple of days, and it, it, there's like a critic, you know, whatever, talk afterwards, and I'm sure that's inevitably going to come up because it always sure. comes up. It always now, comes up. Now I'm going to blow their minds with the, uh, the reason it. behind it. Yes. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Uh, no, the thing is, my uh, for my family, there's uh, tons of people who went. I didn't go through uh any military academies or anything, but my dad was former Marine Corps. His dad was army in world war two Marine Corps before that. Um, had, and I, I had an uncle who I have several uncles who've gone through the Navy and I have cousins who've gone through the Navy. Um, so yeah, I mean the military military runs strong in my bloodline. So it's, I would be, I like it's, got to be weird sometimes i think to watch a movie like watching star trek like that is so not really um military yeah it's not it's not a very good military structure i can imagine Uh, i can imagine you know which i suppose is a statement because they're supposed to be explorers yeah it's yeah i mean fighting force they 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 try to make the point that it's not military except when someone didn't get the memo or when they need to make it military for whatever story they happen to be telling. But yeah. But to me, I mean, like it always worked best as sort of like, like even if they weren't, you know, fighting, Mm -hmm. having that sort of like military structure, you know, seems to work best, you know, as far as, you know, Starfleet is concerned. And, you know, the, the interesting thing to me about, this coming at it from that perspective is, you know, if you're going to use the the Navy as, you know, an, an analogy for Starfleet Academy or whatever, if you're going to go backwards with it, then obviously, I'm sorry, for Starfleet, Starfleet, then, yeah. then obviously, you know, Annapolis is Starfleet Academy, you know? Yeah. I, and the thing is, I'll be interested to see if, uh, he has an opportunity or if or if Lynn decides on some level to take what he obviously had to study for this movie and bring it into Star Trek. And we see like when Meyer came on a little bit more of that more regimented feel to the command structure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wonder if not. not you know, I don't think he's going to make a, uh, you know, like a, a naval recruitment movie, but you know, something that, that echoes, he spent time doing his research for this and he'll bring some of that knowledge forward. Yeah. 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 I'll be curious. I mean, I don't, I highly doubt that we're going to get to see Starfleet Academy in this new movie. You know, it sounds like it really is going to be out there. Oh, sure. Know? But I mean, in terms of the way people interact yeah. on a crew. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there was virtually no, sort of military echoes at all in mm-hmm. Abrams's two takes on it. Like everything was very lateral. There was no real, 
hierarchy to the command structure. Yeah. So I just wonder if Lynn will come in and, and, and transfer that over. Who knows? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so what about the, uh, the accuracy of this movie? Well, I did. I reached out to one of my cousins who had gone through uh, the Naval Academy. And what I found was, first and foremost, that when I said I was watching Annapolis, she, uh, her reply was, ha ha, yeah, that's an entertaining movie. And I was like, go on, <laughs> please fill me in. Um, and the thing is, I had specific questions about the fraternization mm-hmm. uh, between uh, Jordana Brewster and, uh, and, and James Franco. And she was like, yeah, no, that. That doesn't, they'd both be kicked out for that. That's done. That's not going to happen. It almost Um, seemed like in the movie, it almost seemed like they were like, you know, oh, well, you know, you're not a plebe anymore. So it's okay. Nope. Nope. Yeah. No, not at all. Not (laughs) at all. Yeah. Um, And and I asked about, uh, I know that the rule used to be that you had to, um, because he goes on break at one point and he like just saunters into town and he's just in his scruffy clothes again and everything. There are rules for people who are uh, plebes and youngsters. When they go into town, they have to be in uniform. They can change into uniform into their civvies when they get to their host house um, or their sponsor's house, I should say. And as far as drinking, you just had to be over 21. So the fact that he's drinking in public while he's attending the academy, he would have had to have been over 21, which I, you can sort of skirt around and say, well, he was a last-minute addition. He wa- he didn't go through the typical sort of process. Because typically, to get into the Naval Academy, you have to go through a whole thing where you pass a physical test um, and you also get a sponsor letter, uh, typically from a representative or a senator or somebody like that. Somebody has to sponsor you to, you know, and write a letter of recommendation for you along with your, your grades and everything. Um, which is why uh, the, the one roommate where it was such a big deal for him to get into the academy. The one thing is, yes, there are people who aren't in tremendous physical shape when they get to the academy. They have a ways to go. But there's still a minimum bar that they're going to have. And he didn't seem to meet that minimum bar that would have been required of a of somebody coming into the into the Naval Academy. So that's something that's sort of in that it needed to be that way for the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it would have been nice for them to work in something about like maybe a little backsliding when after he got accepted or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. it seems a bit exaggerated. Yeah, it, it yeah. was it was definitely a bit exaggerated, yeah. and. Um, yeah, I, I I don't I don't think that um, so like I don't I wouldn't knock this movie as terrible in terms of the accuracy. Oh, there's no boxing tournament either. Okay. There's no way they're gonna let you come in and start wailing on a commanding officer. That ain't gonna happen. See, that's something um, which I kind of assumed was a real thing because no. I mean, because again, you know, all my knowledge of the military I get from science fiction. Or, yeah. from t- or from talking to Brandon. <laughs> sure. Because he, he was in the Navy. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, on Battlestar Galactica, there's that whole boxing tournament episode. No, in the, in the uh, it might be different when you get out there, when you're yeah. out of the academy. When you're in the academy, there apparently, when my cousin was there, there, uh, there was, uh, uh, there, it was like a boxing, it was similar to a, a boxing tournament. Um but it was uh, two two classmates could fight. They would have classmates do fights, but it was under it. W- it was almost uh, although this will carry a negative connotation. It was in a very sort of um, as I understand it, as it as it was explained to me, it's almost like a frat hazing sort of fight. Mm-hmm. Like they're not trying to kill each other and they're not trying to knock each other out. It's like just a fun fight for them to get into. Yeah. So, but apparently, it was in my cousin's words, quote unquote, insane to watch. Okay. So, right. I'm sure there. I'm sure there were some ruffians there. Yeah, yeah, um, and everything. I, I'm I'm guessing that yeah, probably the 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 boxing tournaments like this. I mean, yeah, the, like on ships. I guess that would make more sense. You know, sort of that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's out of the academy, and there's. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a different set of rules when you when you're actually out at sea with somebody for a long time. I didn't ask about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. in terms of the academy, no, you're not going to be. 
you're not going to be uh, given the opportunity to punch uh, your your CEO. Yeah. No. Well, that's interesting still, you know. I mean, um, I'm assuming that they, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that they probably had the cooperation of the, the Navy when they were making this movie. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Yeah, so, the Navy gave cooperation to Top Gun. Why wouldn't they give it cooperation yeah, to this? They gave it to Transformers, so, yeah. <sighs> yes. <laughs> They did, didn't they? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think what we're saying is that the Navy's uh, uh, film division is not e- exactly rigorous in the movies that it chooses to participate in. Yeah, it basically it's like, are you? is your movie going to uh, get people to want to join the Navy? Yeah? yeah. All right. <laughs> does, does, your, does your picture uh, portray the Navy as the sum of all evil and a bad place to go? No? Great. Go ahead. We'll help you out. <laughs> yep. For yeah. sure. All right. Well, any any uh, final thoughts on Annapolis? Yeah, it's worth seeing. You know, I mean, it's not great, uh, but it, it was uh, on Amazon. I don't know. It was like three bucks or something. Mm-hmm. You've done yeah. worse worse things with your time. It's it's definitely not a ten percenter. It's you know, it's not it's not something where I'd be like, you got to run out and see Annapolis. But it, you know, it's all right. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a decent movie. It's, you know, I mean, Disney, I mean, I guess te- technically it was Touchstone, which is owned yeah. by Disney, but they have, they've sort of cornered the market on this type of movie. And, you know, I mean, like Backdraft, you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's an okay example, you know, the which is a Touchstone movie, you know. Um, things like, you know, I mean, a lot of sports movies actually, like Glory Road and... Uh, yeah. The rookie, right? A miracle, mm-hmm. the the you know, I I really, it feels like one of those movies, you know, yeah. This sort of like you know, like yeah, come on, this is you know, and it, it's not like there's, I mean, that's one of the weird things about this movie is like there really are no stakes in the sort of dramatic sense, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where like it's more about like these guys and their time at the academy and how do you have like a climax to that because it's not like they're like and now for your final test you will go out to sea and you know into battle you know no that's not that's not anywhere on the table right so how Mm -hmm. do you have sort of like a a final conflict in a story like this and you do it as a boxing match and it's like okay well that's you know and and I, I kind of like that the idea that it's not life and death you know it's it's a military story where it's not life and death it's about being in the military you know it's not about like being in combat you know what I mean right and and that that I thought was was pretty cool and and you know on the whole I think it is done pretty well even if it is rather cliche and and rather inaccurate at times. And yeah, I, I would I would recommend it too. It's not going to blow you away. It's not some sort of transcendent, you know, filmmaking experience or anything like that. And it's not uh, one of Justin Lin's best movies, but it's you know decently made. You yeah. know, yeah. Yeah, I th- I think you said it best. He proved that he could uh, operate in a studio system. Yeah, and you know, going forward, we're going to get to see him. Uh, get to do some crazy stuff you know starting with next week as we venture into the fast and the furious franchise which quickly became his to own can't, can't wait i can't wait either honestly I, i'm really looking forward to to rewatching <laughs> these movies so it'll be fun it'll be fun all right <laughs> all right so we've got a bunch of news this week that we thought we would touch on um with various creators and whatnot some some good news some bad news and i guess we'll start with the bad news uh but the biggest news um at least in my opinion and that is uh that gary hutzel passed away um for those people who don't know gary hutzel was a visual effects uh supervisor who worked on the first five seasons of Next Gen before moving over to DS9 and working on the entire run of DS9. After that, he worked on a bunch of television shows, most notably Battlestar Galactica, um, where he was like the, the, the in charge. He was the guy. He was the, the guy who did the visual effects on Battlestar Galactica. Um, nominated for 20 Emmys, 
one <laughs> one 20. F- 20 emmys yeah good grief one four of them um including uh two for work on star trek one for uh the next generation episode conundrum that's the one oh, where yeah. they, they wake up and they're like who are we yeah. you know and there's like the other guy there so he he won the emmy for that and then he also won the emmy for emissary the first episode of ds9 which is funny. I remember seeing a behind-the-scenes featurette somewhere along the way, and I believe he would have been the one talking about it, where they talked about how they filmed explosions so that they looked like they exploded correctly for space. And I remember being very much younger, and it, it was a behind-the-scenes sort of thing. It was some something they were showing on PBS or something. I don't know where they were showing it. But they showed how they would set the camera up on the floor, point it upward, so that when it exploded, everything would explode outward toward the camera because this is the best way to give it the sense of weightlessness. I was like, that yeah. blew my mind when I was younger. I was like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I had a similar experience watching some Star Wars behind the scenes video where they showed that 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 same thing. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool for it sure. Is. He he also won Emmys for um, two episodes of Battlestar Galactica, Exodus Part Two, and um, He That Believeth in Me. Um, which was the, I don't know the show titles for Battlestar Galactica. So Exodus Part Two is the one where they leave New Caprica. Oh, uh, oh, oh! Gosh, that is a great when the when the when Galactica is coming down through the clouds and mm-hmm. all the flames and the ships are flying out. Yeah, exactly. That, is, that exactly. is a hell of a sequence. Yeah, yeah. And then he that believeth in me is the the first episode of season four. So that would have been the one where they came back and um. Right, right after, right after the 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 one where I, I don't, I can, I'm not going to say anything about it because it's going to spoil like one of the best things. Like the one right after they reveal who the final five are. So oh, okay, yeah, that would that yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. um, yeah. Uh, other other things that he was nominated for. I mean, just so that you know, if anyone wants to do a Gary Hutzel marathon, um, for Next Gen, he was nominated for Tin Man. Um, oh wow. Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and Part 2. Deservedly so. Um, uh, For Deep Space Nine, Way of the Warrior. Yes. Uh, Trials and Tribulations. Oh, oh my. How did he not win for that? I know, some of these, it's like, what? How how on earth do you not win for Trials and Tribulations? How do you not win for Best of Both Worlds? Either part. Yeah. You know, like, what was was the hell <laughs> I have to go look up what he was up against because, good grief, yeah. you got to be kidding me! Um, one little ship—that's the one with the, you know, where they shrink. Oh yeah, and uh, what you leave behind the the finale. Oh, know? I can't even think about that show without crying. Uh, the other BSG uh, shows that he was nominated for uh, the very first episode, um, you know, night one of the miniseries, uh, oh. the the hand of God. Um, I'm not sure which one that is. 33, which was the first episode. Oh, of the... that won a Hugo Award for writing, didn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it did. Yeah. Um, Resurrection Ship Part 2. Okay. Uh, Daybreak Part 2, the, the finale, you know. Okay. And then he was also nominated for Blood and Chrome. And then he was nominated for Virtuality, which we, we did an episode on. That was the uh, Ron Moore show where it was basically like... Um, I think as oh. as the title of our episode yeah. describes it, a malfunctioning holodeck of the series. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And um uh an episode of Caprica, There is another sky, and then um the pilot for Defiance, which came out a couple of years ago. He was he was kinda young too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was only sixty. Yeesh. It was it was very very sudden and, and yeah. I mean, honestly, any time is too young when you really look at it on a long enough time time frame. But man, sixty that yeah, that's a that's a shame, man. That's it is. a shame. It is, and I mean, like you think, like okay, so he did visual effects, you know, whatever, you know. But I mean, God, I mean, you're talking about like Exodus Part Two, right? Like yeah, that sequence, right, where yeah. the, the the, oh, yeah. the ship jumps into the upper atmosphere yeah. and then is just 
falling as yeah. all the vipers are shooting out of it's, it, and then it jumps back out right before it hits the ground. It's insane. It is insane. And, you know, you can say, well, you know, I, I think it was actually Weddell and Thompson who wrote that episode. They had to write it, and then I think it's Felix Alcala directed it. You know, he had to direct it. He had to compo- you know, come up with these shots or whatever, but ultimately Hutzel is the one who actually had to do it, right? He sold it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, when th- that moment, like there are, are moments, I know that we like, yeah. I, I don't even remember why we were talking about this before. I was talking about how like I cried in Dark Knight Rises and some other movie yeah. and I forget what the other movie was, you know, but there are moments where I'm like so moved by like the artistry of something. Oh, sure. Where it's like, yeah. you know, chills like run down your spine. I mean, like Mad Max Fury Road, right? I mean... Like mm-hmm. that sequence mm-hmm. where the bikes are jumping over the yeah. the truck and throwing bombs on it. I mean, there are moments in there where I'm just like, oh my God, you know? And it like literally like yeah. moves me to tears, right? Yeah. And that scene in Exodus part two, that like moved me to tears because I was just so impressed with the artistry on display. You know, I, I, I can say no lie that the the reason I uh, earlier was able to recall that sequence is because I had started going a little cold on the show by that point. Mm-hmm. And then that episode happened. And in specific, that was that was the moment where for the first time that entire season, like I sat up and out loud went, oh, oh, yeah. man, whoa. Like, cause it, you're, you're right. Like it just blows your mind what you're watching. You're like, this is amazing. I, I'm going to find it. Like I, I did a random search on YouTube, you know, uh, last night because I, you know, I, I have all the, the discs on Blu-ray and stuff like that. And I was thinking yeah. about like rewatching it, but I was like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't have the time to rewatch the whole thing, but I just thought I'd see like, maybe there would be something on YouTube where it was like a clip and some someone had put together like five minutes of basically just the battle sequence from that episode, right? Oh wow! And and they took out all of the there's there's like only like two shots of actual like people, the rest is just CGI ships doing their thing, and they took out all of the sound and just put it to music. And wow. what that's got to be amazing. What, what what it is, what it really did, and I'm so glad that I found it because. Basically, what it does is it takes, like, by taking it completely out of context, all that you're seeing, like, literally all that you're seeing for, like, five minutes are what it was exactly that Gary Hutzel did, you know, what he did on that show. Like, this is, you know, I I would say probably his masterpiece, right? And it was just, like, the most beautiful thing that I've seen. I'll put a link to it up on the Babel conference, but it's just so amazing, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's it's really sad that he's gone because... Yeah, that's... Yeah, and the thing is, this is the one thing I'm going to say, is that one of the things that always makes me so happy, even in a moment like this where it's like, oh, you know, we lost somebody, but... Something that always makes me so happy as a Star Trek fan, and in particular being on this show with you, is I I struggle to think of a fan base that is more aware of the artists behind the scenes mm-hmm. as the Star Trek fan base can be. Yeah, yeah um, no, that's true. Uh, like even though the Star Wars, for instance, Star Wars fans can acknowledge it, they know that it's there, but like when Gary Hutzel goes like we pause and we remember and we know what he contributed. Like that's, that's sort of a beautiful thing. Like I I think that, I think that people should recognize that that's actually a a pretty special thing about being a Star Trek fan is that there, there is just this extreme respect for everybody that works on it. Not just the actors or writers or directors, but everybody that gave something. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. So so go 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 off and watch uh, Exodus Part Two and and Emissary and uh, go check out Gary Hutzel's work and yeah, yeah he'll he'll be missed for sure so definitely definitely okay on to some better news yeah uh hey there's two more executive producers on this new Star Trek show there sure are <laughs> and they are uh, people who. Uh, I think Star Trek fans will be familiar with, and that's Rod Roddenberry and Trevor Roth. There you go. So, 
Rod Roddenberry, of course, is Gene Roddenberry's son, and he runs, you know, Roddenberry Entertainment. Is that what it's called? Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and we were talking about, on, on, you know, <laughs> on the other side of things, we were talking about uh, the the fine shirts that we both bought for Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh to yeah, to our viewings. The yeah, the black shirt with the black yeah. uh, Delta Shield on it. I have that. I also have a um, when when the first picture when Justin Lin tweeted the first picture from the Beyond set, and it yeah. was a shot of the jacket with the little um, Starfleet mm-hmm. logo on it, and they took that logo and put it on a shirt. You know, there you go. So I, I, I of course I you know had to get that shirt. You know, it's kind of a must-have. <laughs> So so yeah, they're going to be executive producers on this new show. Now, I mean, executive producer can mean a million and one things, everything from, you know, they're running the show, running the writer's room and the day-to-day operations of this series to, you know, they're contractually obligated to have this title for some reason or another. And who knows exactly why Rod Roddenberry and Trevor Roth are executive producers, but my guess would be that they want to bring in the Roddenberry company as sort of a partner in this endeavor. Sure. Which I think is completely reasonable and kind of really cool. I I completely agree. I mean, it's like um, the, the whole you know, bringing in Nick Meyer and stuff like that. Like the Rod Roddenberry being brought on board is just yet another sign that CBS has taken this really seriously mm-hmm. and they really want to get their cross. They're crossing every T and dotting every I. And Roddenberry of course, uh, is really good in terms of interacting with the fans mm-hmm. and everything. And, and, uh, they, they have like a strong presence at conventions and stuff like that. In fact, they're going to be at a convention here in Chicago in uh, well next week, a week from from today, when this thing is being released, and that's uh, uh, the C two E two at um, you know, oh, yeah. which they're they're the same guys who run the convention in New York. That, that's going to be the Star Trek convention. That's going to be in New York, by the way. Um, so so yeah, so I'm excited. I'm because I'm going. And, you know, I'm excited to see the the Roddenberry booth and see what they're they're doing. If they say anything or whatever, who knows? You know, but. Uh, it, it's it's cool that that they're involved, you know, because it just it's it shows to me that yeah, CBS, like you're saying, is um, taking into account all of these different perspectives, you know, mm-hmm. and this is certainly one which is important to uh, to to be involved with. So, so yeah, it's cool. It just it just feels right that a Roddenberry's involved. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And and for the record, you know, because, I mean, this is something that they made on their own, you know, both Roddenberry and Roth were producers on the documentary Trek Nation, which was about Roddenberry's, Rod Roddenberry's quest, I guess you could say, to find out, you know, who his dad was and, and why people love him, you know, the way that they do, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. It's really good, you know? Okay. Yeah, Roddenberry, Rod Roddenberry hosts it, you know, and, and goes around and interviews people like J.J. Abrams and George Lucas and, you know, all these other various people, as well as, like, you know, personal, you know, uh, connections mm-hmm. to Roddenberry and stuff like that and tries to figure it all out. And uh, it's it's really, really good and informative and touching and and uh, i highly recommend it i i think it's been on netflix in the past uh i don't know if it is who can guess the ebb and flow of netflix anymore i know it's crazy but hey blade runner is on netflix so you know who's complaining yeah that kind of blew my mind that that was actually uh (laughs) i i i pulled up netflix for the kids to watch one of their disney shows or whatever and like the cover for blade runner was there and i was like oh cool and uh, I think it was my seven-year-old was like, what's that movie? It's for grown-ups, honey. What oh, happens man. in it? Just, it's, trust me, honey, just don't don't click play on that one. I would have been like, I, I know you guys really want to watch Frozen again, but <laughs> let's try something new. Come no, on. No, 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 no. If you, if you, social services picks up your kids, if you show them Blade Runner and they're less than 10 years old, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing on that one, but that's not going to go over well. 
Okay, all right. So maybe they can't watch Blade Runner yet, but <laughs> no. Here's something which you know I, I think you will be able to share with them, which is coming up uh, hopefully in the not too distant future, and that's a new television show on WGN America called Scalped. You were talking to me about this. <laughs> uh, what is that about again? What that, uh, is it? Family well, friendly? It, yeah, it's about you know. Um, well, okay, here it is. It's based on a comic book. Um, in, in okay, the, we're, that's good territory to start from. DC sure. comic, DC comic. Okay. DC comic, they, Batman and Superman. Okay, superheroes, all right. I mean, it's in the Vertigo line, you know, which is where the adult, you know, like Sandman, we're, we're moving into the gray area here. You know, but for network television, I'm assuming they'll have to tone it down a little bit. Probably a touch. Okay. Although Hannibal was on network television. Mm, Let's point true. that one out. That's true. Yes. Um, yeah. it, it's it's about, you know, I have actually read this comic, which is kind of crazy. I, I read it for, um, back before commentary track stars, um, Brandon um, and I started up a podcast, which lasted two episodes called um, Captain Snafu and Mr. Chestile Area Show. Um, which Rolls off the tongue. Easy oh, they, they 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 were both nicknames which were given to us uh, when we would hang out at the comic book store, and oh, you know okay. we we thought we would do a little news and you know like you know review like a, a comic or a movie or something each week. And, sure, sure. And and Brandon, who's much more in touch with comic books than I am, was like, "There's this comic book called Scalped, and it's really good." So how about you read that, and then we can talk about it. And I'm like, "Okay." Is it, is it about selling tickets to concerts? What's it about? It's about, well, it's basically kind of, I mean, I think the thing that, that, that lots of people, uh, the way that lots of people describe it is it's kind of like Goodfellas, like on a Native American reservation, you know? Definitely doesn't sound family friendly at that okay. point. Well, but it know. does It does have my interest. So it's like Goodfellas on a Native American reservation. Yeah. I kind of dig that concept. That sounds interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of dug the concept too. Um I didn't particularly like the comic, but mm-hmm. um, that doesn't mean that a television show about it won't be good. And, and I, to be fair, a lot of people love the comic. It was written by Jason Aaron, who is now mm-hmm. the guy writing the Star Wars comics uh, for Marvel. You know, and he's doing a great job. He is doing a great job. And uh, the this new show. The reason why we're talking about this random show, which um, may or may not be on TV in you know a year or so, is because the new show is being created by Doug Jung, who is the co-writer of Star Trek Beyond. Probably, if Beyond is a big hit, it will definitely make it to air. Let's hope so. You know, I'm willing to bet. Yeah, from the writer of Star Trek Beyond. Exactly. Exactly. There you go. So, you know, hey, something to look forward to for sure. Um, it's exciting stuff. Um, the irony of ironies for me, at least, is that uh, it's going to be on WGN America. And mm-hmm. WGN, of course, is a Chicago-based network, yeah. you know, going back to the radio days. You know, I always walk by the WGN, you know, radio building when I'm downtown and everything like that. You can see them, you know, on the air as they're, you know, broadcasting in their big windows, which they always make a point of being bulletproof glass um (laughs) (laughs) chicago's Um, a nice town is what you're saying (laughs) you know you know whatever um (laughs) but uh the uh (laughs) but the thing about it is wgn america is their super station you know so like wgn is just channel nine here right and we've got like the cw on there and lots of baseball games and everything but then there's the super station which is used for, you know, nationwide broadcasts, right? And yeah. like Salem, for example, Brandon Braga's show is on the Superstation. But since we here in Chicago have just plain old regular WGN, mm-hmm. we do not get the Superstation. So even though WGN, a Chicago-based network, is branching off into all this crazy stuff like Scalped, we can't watch it here in chicago that makes no sense it it makes absolutely no sense Uh, it it became an issue when salem was on because we reviewed salem for this show and i had to get it off of itunes in order to see it how does that even work why wouldn't they show it there i have no idea 
That doesn't make any sense at all. That's got to be some sort of like screwy FCC thing. I don't know. I mean, maybe they've changed it now. Maybe like the network has picked up the other. Th- I don't know, or the the cable company. But yeah, back back when Scalped came out, yeah, we could not watch it here in Chicago. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. Anyway, hopefully they'll have it all worked out in time for Scalped. So yeah, well, uh, on a long enough timeline, probably WGN will be airing it on their pay app <laughs> by the time it comes out. This is true. This is true. Yeah. All right. Um, one other thing. One other thing, real quickly. Um, if you are downloading this uh, on the day that we release it, or you know, any time after that, really, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane is now in theaters. You know, oh, the that's new right. JJ Abrams production. So yes, be sure to go ahead and check that out. I'm going to be seeing it in a few days, and I'm super excited. So yeah. Okay. Well, it's been fun talking about. Annapolis today, uh, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. You've heard Chief Trip sign on. Uh, I'm serious, Ken. Actually, out of the chair, please. Okay, okay. God, <laughs> I guess the Commodore has the con <laughs> to the journey. All right, next one is from Damien Haywood. And uh, Damien, come on. Which Voyager crew member would you hate to be stuck in the Delta Flyer with? He's always so negative. I called him on this the other day. I said, Damien, why always with the negativity? He said, at least I'm consistent. The 602 Club. We start getting hints of Thor. We start getting hints of Cap. We start getting hints of the entire Avengers crew. And we get Black Widow. So, I mean, Iron Man 2, considering... How maybe that's not my favorite movie of the MCU really does set up a lot of what is to come. Literary Treks. You know, visually to me, this is one of my favorite eras of Star Trek. You know, those monster maroon coats they're wearing and they're just absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, I've a lot of people talked about wanting to get a Captain Sulu Star Trek series. And one of the big reasons for me that that would be so great is to see this era played out visually on a regular basis. Women at Warp. Her her voice as a computer voice has become so iconic that when Google started developing what is now known as Google Now, that, that personal assistant you can speak to, um, they had initially codenamed it Google Majel. That's so cool. Isn't that awesome? Meta Trex. And I kind of had the jingle in my head, you can be a winner at the game yes. of life. And I was trying to think of the Star Trek version of that. You know, you, you, you can be a winner of the poker game of life on the Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> on the it Inter- didn't really roll off the tongue. So It was great until you added on the Enterprise. Melodic Treks. The reason why I think Brian Wrightsell would be a more plausible choice is because he has worked with Fuller in the past. They worked together on Hannibal. He scored that series, all 39 episodes. The neat thing about Brian Wrightsell's music is it's more of a sound design than it is a score. Saturday Morning Trek. One of the characters is sizably larger than the than the other. So he's just I don't, closer to the camera, Aaron, obviously. But he's actually behind the other person. <laughs> he's a giant. <laughs> Wait, then he doesn't need a laser cutter. He can just lift the hatch up with it. <laughs> Go down together. Okay. Continuing mission. Yeah, and of course, another great thing is when it's it's all finished and you look at it and go, yeah, we made that together. Yeah, that's that's one of the greatest moments. And people respond to it and say, oh, that's that's pretty well made. The effects are great. The actors are are great, uh, even though they're Dutch trying to speak English, right? <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to help uh, find the show uh, as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download uh, the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. If you want to help support the network, you can go to our store. Uh, just type trek.fm store into your, your search thingy, and it'll pop right up. 
because that's the actual address. And they'll take you to our Redbubble store where you can buy lots of t-shirts, sweatshirts, um, pillows, whatever you want, you know, with cool designs on them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Many cool designs, but Citizen Kane, we await. One day, one day, you know. One day. <laughs> Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we would definitely appreciate that. Uh, That helps us uh, gain visibility on the app or whatever it is. Helps other people find the show. Helps other people find the show, you know, which is, is good for everybody. Um, so yeah, feel free to leave a rating and a review and we'll read your review on the air. All right. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail by going to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. On Twitter, you can find the network at trek.fm. On Facebook, you can find the network at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Uh, Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference, which is the listener forum, where I'll put up that that video with yeah. the the footage from Gary Hutzel's work on Exodus Part Two. Um, just type the Babel Conference, that's B A B E L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion tab on the menu bar. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. John, do you have a book for us this week? Do I? I have Horatio Nelson, The Leaders series, written by Molly Hardwick and narrated by John Graham with a full cast. It's dramatized. Mm. Uh, and uh, since we're on a naval bend with uh, with this specific show... Captain Nelson is a little man who cannot boast of being handsome, but who will, in my view, one day astonish the world. So said Sir William Hamilton to his wife Emma when Captain Nelson first sailed into Naples Bay in 1793. Even that shrewd ambassador could hardly have guessed how great the little man would become. So get some naval history. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah there's there's one scene in, in Annapolis where they're like, who were the first three admirals? And they were like... Uh, someone, someone in Farragut. And I'm like, oh, Farragut. Now it all makes sense. You're kidding. You didn't, you didn't know? I don't know. I had heard of the Dewey guy before, but you know. He did a decimal system, right? (laughs) I think he did, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I do come from, like, you know how you come from a family of like, you know, naval uh, officers and whatnot. Yeah. That's me, but with librarians. Wow. Yeah. That would have been a heck of a uh, pickup football game we could have played. (laughs) This is true. This is true. Yeah. Anyway, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the Network. All right. Well, that takes care of Annapolis. You know, we got those first two Justin Lin movies out of the way, and now the real game begins. (laughs) 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 You know you love Batman Forever. Oh, who, who could hate Batman Forever? Nobody could hate that. You'd have to have a heart of stone. I, I I used to have it was my favorite T-shirt. It was the the logo from Batman Forever, where it's the bat symbol inside the question mark, and I'm like, That's it's a beautiful logo. That I loved logo it. Is not the problem with that movie. And you know, I wore that shirt until it was disintegrated into nothing. <laughs> well, I just noticed on the Warner Brothers store you can now buy it. They make it to order. I'm totally getting that shirt. Buying them in bulk, aren't you? 
I, I might buy. So I've done that before. That one. Like like when uh, Target started selling Mr. Pib t-shirts, I I I, I did buy three <laughs> because I knew that I would need them. In for a penny, in for a pound, huh, Mike? <laughs> That's why you always see me wearing Mr. Pib t-shirts, and it's like, wow, he wears that shirt a lot. It's like, no, I've You're actually like fry got with slurm. three of them, you know. <laughs> You're, it's the same thing. The same, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mr. Pib. I can't wait until they the have cups. a golden bottle cap and a Pib can. It's the best. It's the best. R.I.P. Mr. Pib. Hasn't been made since 2001, but what can you do? Anyway, never forget. (laughs) So next week, we will be back to talk about Justin Lin's third movie and the third film in the Fast and Furious franchise, The Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. Thank you.